Hello and welcome to the X Show. Today I am your host Tony Shu, and today with me we have my co-host Donna Shu, as well as a fascinating uh, story from a very tr- from a true survivor, uh, Peter Young, who wrote his own book called "Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger." Uh, can you please introduce yourself for a second, here, Peter? Sure, Tony and Donna. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, author of two books. The latest one is. Sounds awesome. It sounds a lot cooler than down here in Texas. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's sunny right now and probably mid, uh, mid to high 50s. It's great. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So Peter has a, a really fascinating story that we're really going to dive into. He, um, he covers it in his uh, book, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger Again. And uh, essentially, he is the survivor of a of what you would call a, a mini cult, a cult with a small, with I think less than twelve people, and he has really struggled through a lot in his life over over a twenty plus year long relationship, and we're here to talk about that and, and talk about that. And my co-host, if uh, listeners you remember is a marriage and family therapist uh, she actually did some study on cults in doing well she was getting her master's degree and so uh, today we will be joined today she will be leading this discussion as she is the well more of a subject expert than i am on this <laughs> thanks <laughs> so uh, hi i'm donna Shu. And um, I'm going to be, first, I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, I wanted to remind our listeners that this show is not a replacement for treatment by a medical professional. This content is created for education and entertainment purposes only. And any and all things said by me are, and by me and my husband, are our educated opinions. Um, So, first and foremost... Uh, we greatly appreciate you taking your time and allowing us to to be a part of your life about this. Like the book was a part of your life and um, it was filled with the trials and tribulations, maybe un- maybe known to our listeners. Um, so it's it, it's our hope that our listeners hear this and know the dangers of cult psychology and groupthink and how it really doesn't need to be a huge size for it to be damaging. Um, so that's one of the, I had to start with that for sure, Peter. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome. As I wrote in my book, you know, writing the memoir was incredibly therapeutic, cathartic, just felt great. And Mm -hmm. cults control members through secrecy and isolation. Mm -hmm. So I had been quiet for so long. So doing interviews like this is actually still very helpful. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, let's take a ball down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's right. Let's give it all the freedom. So, um, I was reading through your book, and I, as I told you before, I read the whole thing. And one of the quotes that I kind of wanted to start off with was the one that you mentioned from Dr. Steve Hassan. And um, in his book, Combating Cult Mind Control, he said, Many cults consist of anywhere from two to 12 people. Um, for our listeners, he, uh, Steve Hassan, Dr. Steve Hassan, is a renowned cult expert who himself was a part of the Moon's Unification Church. 
a cult that originated in Korea but extended its reach outside to other countries and was known for their mass marriages in the 1970s and 1980s. And according to Dr. Hassan, which I didn't know this, by the way, until I read, I was reading his book, um, they're still active today, but I guess they're just a little bit more subtle about their, I'm not really sure. You're not really hearing about them in the news like back back then, right? Yeah, I, I would imagine they probably try and avoid publicity, whereas maybe in the past they, they craved it. But yeah, I, I don't hear much about them either. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, in your own words, do you mind describing what your book is about? I know we described a little bit of it, but in your own words, I would, um, I would like our listeners to hear that. Sure. Well, it is my memoir. It's my story of getting slowly, unwittingly uh, sucked into a tiny but destructive religious cult, living within it for around 20 years, and then, you know, effectively getting kicked out, uh, fully brainwashed, um, rock bottom in my life, and recovering thanks to friends, family, and my faith. So it is a wild journey, and it's intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times, at the end, to me, it is also victorious, because I recovered. I survived. Yeah. When I finished the book, it was filled with hope, and I was still left with the question, are you okay now? How are you now? I wanted to know immediately. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I tell people that I am, I'm a million times stronger than I was at the worst parts um, of, of, of living in that cult because I was consumed by fear, consumed by doubt. Every single thought or word I said or deed that I did had to be run by Paige, my former wife, or Uncle Robert, the cult leader. What a miserable way to live. So now, uh, do I still have my daily challenges and struggles? Yeah, a lot of them. But I'm so much more stronger. I have far more peace and strength and wisdom. I asked the Lord for those things. He gave them to me. So, you know, is it hard? I mean, is my family still split up? Yeah, I am divorced. But uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I am I'm the man, I guess, in many ways I always wanted to be. I wish I could have gotten this way and learned these things on a different path. If that right. Makes sense. No, I totally get it. Hindsight is twenty twenty. You're like, I wish someone had told me this way before. But honestly, as I was reading, uh, no one is prepared to face a narcissist. No one can prepare you either. So no one's prepared and no one can yeah. prepare you, really. How, how difficult it is to talk to someone with charisma and who is manipulative, it's hard. You, you can encounter them at any point in your life, honestly. As a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, as a 50-year-old, it doesn't matter. If you've never encountered them, you just don't expect what's going to happen. And, and for me, Donna, uh, the thing that made it really tricky was, you know, if I had sat down with Uncle Robert, uh, what we called him, Mm-hmm. Uh, over a cup of coffee uh, or lunch or whatever. You know, again, charismatic, interesting, but, you know, he's, he's a bit of a crackpot. Mm-hmm. And I could have just walked away and said, oof, I'm not going to call that guy again. or not going to meet with that guy again. Yeah. But I didn't have that luxury because I was married to a woman who revered the man. Right. So he was in my life whether I liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like you can't pick your family, but you in, in this situation, 
he wasn't family, but they picked him like he was family. It's it's a it's like a sneaky kind of snaky way of making yourself family by giving yourself that kind of title, right? Like uncle anything. Oh, that's uncle this, and you're just like you assume any outsider is like, oh, they're your uncle. Well, no, not really. Who who is this yeah. dude? He was not uh, related at all, so he was called Uncle because uh, Paige's parents, uh, Jack and Kathy, so they would have been my former in-laws, mm-hmm. uh, you know, taught all the children when they were young to use the term aunt or uncle for adults as a sign of respect, and, and you know, that would have been used sporadically, but with Uncle Robert, it stuck. Mm-hmm. Uncle Robert's actually born and raised in Syria. He's probably in his late 70s now. Uh, jet black hair, but bald on top, olive complexion, bulbous nose. He's kind of chubby. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, my family and Paige's family were all, you know, average height is well over six foot tall. Yeah. You know, typical Northern European looks. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, cult leaders, you know, they, they kind of want to put family subjugated below his or her family. You know, cult leaders, I think, are usually men. So mm-hmm. the family rolls around that guy, the cult leader. The other family, like the real family, is kind of kicked to the curb and yeah. is secondary at best. Yeah, they're like usurped, like he usurped the throne from from her father, from Jack. Oh, in, in so many ways it's scary because uh, Uncle Robert and Jack met at a small seminary in Southern California way back in like early 70s, late 60s. And from, I guess as soon as they met, you know, Uncle Robert would have, Robert Booty's his real name, mm-hmm. would have assumed this position of authority uh, and dominance in their relationship, and, it, and it's never wavered. Mm-hmm. So for for many years, even Jack and Kathy would have called him Uncle Robert, but then uh, they started calling him Dad. Yeah, and you know they're about six years apart, and they called him Dad. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, um, and he was trying to do the same thing to you for sure in your own family. It's so bizarre this need to usurp places where there's no reason to do that. Like he was, he was father to his own children. Why does he need more kids, you know? Why does he need yeah. more? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's almost like asking why somebody narcissist. Like, well, we don't know. They just, they just are. Mm-hmm. I remember reading Dr. Hassan's book and, and other cult experts, which, by the way, I don't, I don't pretend to be a cult expert. I'm an expert on what happened to me. Yeah, right, 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 enough, right. Mm-hmm. And I've done enough research on cults to realize, oh, you know, I was in one, and I can see some signs. Mm-hmm. And so what I have read is that, you know, eventually the goal of that cult leader is to get, you know, whether it's grandparents, parents, and then kids, so multi-generations, mm-hmm. they're all on the same level. So they're all eventually, whether they're, you know, 60, 40, and 20, or 5 years old, uh, they're all the children of the cult leader. And we were really close to getting there. So, mm-hmm. you know, Jack's in his 70s. He's calling Uncle Robert Dad. My children are calling him Grandpa Bob. And then... My wife and I are calling him Uncle Robert, but we're mm. all acting in his presence like he's our dad. Right. It's scary, honestly, how slimy people can be. Yeah. He's also got nothing else to do with his life because he didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> his wife worked, so he had all the darn time to do this. He did. He had a lot of time. I never saw him have a full-time job. His wife did uh, work at a hospital, so she made a pretty good living. The story he loved to tell was when they were about to get married, you know, his proposal to her was, I 
you know, Robert, will be your mission field. But, you know, translation, you work, I'll take the money and, and do my thing and travel around the world and try and spread the, you know, the quote-unquote, the, the true gospel. Mm. And so that's, that's it. You know, when he would visit us, so he lived in, they lived in Southern California, we lived in Idaho, Montana. Mm-hmm. And when he would come up to Northern Idaho for our conferences, which is basically, you know, sitting in Jack and Kathy's living room and listening to Uncle Robert talk for hours on end, mm-hmm. uh, his wife hardly ever came. He was at home working. And his sons never came. They're adult children now. It was just Uncle Robert and sometimes a sidekick or two. And he would always be traveling on his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preaching his words. Um, right. So in your prologue, I... One of the, like, the, there's a section in there that really stood out to me, and it kind of, it was, it felt like, not foreshadowing, that's not the right word, but it summed up your learned learning experience from this entire thing, and that's what it felt like to me when I read it. And you, you had, like, three really important tenets that you discovered. Um, so you said, quote, a healthy marriage has Christ in the center. No one person, pastor, priest, parent, child, mentor, counselor, or friend should get in between the husband and wife. That was your first one. And I thoroughly believe in that. <laughs> As a marriage and family therapist, that rang true to me 1,000%. Um, I don't yeah, see... It, yeah. Uh, it, and if I can comment on that, you mm-hmm. know... Um, it, it was a struggle. It was a constant struggle. I mean, and again, as I talk about my book, Donna, that I, I thought we had a great marriage the first few years. I mean, I thought I was the best husband ever. She was the best wife, wife mm-hmm. ever. We had this wonderful relationship. It wasn't until the years progressed that, you know, it kind of dawned on me that, boy, this guy really knows a lot about us. Boy, he seemed to have, you know, my wife's ear more than I do. Mm-hmm. And it was a slow kind of insidious march down this road to where he just completely took over to, you know, there were times where other people would, um, or were readers of the book, will kind of peek into this and get a view, a glimpse of our marriage and think, wow, that's wildly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But I barely knew it at the time because, you know, whatever was inappropriate for someone else yeah. was not inappropriate for Uncle Robert because of just the way he'd been built up. So I look back at it now and it is, it is sick, doesn't come close to describing uh, what it was like having this guy you know, and his control over our marriage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was internally destructive. And, um, this can, I mean, this has happened to even me and my husband where it was friends that kind of got in between us and were causing a lot of discord and you don't really notice until you step out of it. And like, it's, it's hard to step out of it because you're also losing what you think is a person of value for you, you know? And you're also wanting right. to please your partner by not having them have to make the same decisions that you are for someone that they also care about. So it's a tricky thing. It's not, it, it, you know, like cut loose. Like I'm just going to cut my losses. Yeah, you can do that maybe. But what about your partner? You know, it's not just that easy. Yeah, many years into our marriage. Well, look, I should probably say it this way. Just a few years before our marriage ended, um, you know, Paige had asked that Uncle Robert be our marriage counselor, and I, you know, thought attainable. A, I didn't think we needed one. Mm-hmm. B, I still didn't want him to be the marriage counselor. And C, I thought if, if we hired any other marriage counselor, like let's say you or somebody else, the first thing you would have said is, 
you need to get Uncle Robert out of your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, then, and then shortly after that, you know, Paige was upset because I would constantly ask these questions of him. And I was often, you know, doubtful and mm, a little dubious of his claims. And she said to me, now here's a supposedly Christian woman telling her Christian husband who's been faithful, never had any kind of affairs, no physical abuse, no shouting, nothing. Love mm-hmm. woman. She said, you know, you got to quit trying to put a wedge in between Uncle Robert and I. And, mm-hmm. and she said it without any kind of like, you know, irony or recognition of how ludicrous a statement that was. You know, right. she's telling her husband to stop trying to force a wedge between she and another married man. Yeah. When in reality, I've made the wedge as big as I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it was, the boundaries were non-existent in her mind yeah. long before you even came into the picture. Yeah, but there were no boundaries, right? Yeah, not a good way to put it. Yeah, so that, I remember in, um, uh, I, have, I actually have that question too, where I, there, you were wondering, like, did she, did she love me, like, at the end of it all? Like, did, did, I, I don't really understand, like, I know she loved me, but when did it stop? And it it honestly really got me thinking, you know, because it just sounds like this couldn't have been anything you could have stopped on your own. It would have taken, and it does take in other cult, like cult member cases, it takes a whole like army to get people out of these situations and if it's against their will then it's also traumatic and, and you know what i mean like you're just fighting this losing battle she would need to have wanted to prioritize you number one prioritize your spouse and that's what she failed to do so really i do think she loved you and it was an it was so frustrating to me to see how she was allowing robert booty kind of take over that spot it it, uh, it didn't allow her to to feel the true happiness that you can have when you are married with someone that you love she didn't have that he took that from her too and from from both of you but i know you were fighting for it but she she really wasn't yeah and i wonder when i look back now because of the things that she has said and written since she left me so she left me about six years and she has since said things like, you know, I knew I made a mistake, you know, just a few months after our first child was born, we had five children and we got pregnant like a month into our marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, oh, a few months after he was born, I knew I made a mistake in marrying you. The day of our marriage was the worst mistake of my life, the worst day of my life, worst decision of my life, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, well, wait a minute, you know, how much of that again is, is you know, now because of the, the, um, the mental, emotional, spiritual pressure and brainwashing she's under. You know, did she ever love me? And I do think she did. Yeah. Um, and then you can go you can kind of, you know, drive yourself crazy. Well, when did it end? When did it stop? When did she really stop loving me? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's a hugely important question. I, I, the one thing that I do know is that um, as long as Uncle Robert had that position mm-hmm. in her life, mm-hmm. uh, our marriage was doomed. Yeah. So... So then the question is, well, is there a point where I could have gone back in time, the time machine, and go back in time and say, well, if I took a stand here against Uncle Robert, or took a stand there against Uncle Robert, could I have saved our relationship and our marriage? And mm-hmm. to me, that moment, 
now I'm going to have to explain this to the listeners. That moment would be in the fall of 96, like two to three months after I met her, when I first got that letter and mm-hmm. read Uncle Robert's crazy letter about the Tiger Dream. To me, that's the only spot. And she would either get it or she wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and it's also your intervention as a spouse since you're with her every day and you're talking to her and you're spending time with her, that is also continuous. So it wouldn't have been, at least in my, in my opinion, as I was reading it and everything that you described her to be and her personality, I don't think one instance would have really like pivoted the situation. You would have had to have been doing lots of situations where you're pivoting her constantly. It wouldn't have been, maybe you would have chipped it chipped it a little, but the indoctrination was so, so far into her mind. And since way before, you know, it sounds like she knew him since she was a child. Uh, I, it's, it would have been, you would have been doing a lot of pivots the whole time. Yeah. Right. Well, as a former basketball player, I, that, that's the basketball term. So yeah, I would have been doing a lot of pivots. Right? Yeah. I uh, play basketball too. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that, but that, the reason I go back to that moment is because for her, yeah. it was so crucial. Mm-hmm. In other words, if I, you mind if I just explain it briefly to, to the sure, listeners, go the for dream it. and all that, the title yeah. of the book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the title of the book is Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. So I, uh, I, I met Paige at a singles Bible study. You know, we start dating almost immediately. And about a month after we're dating, uh, you know, we're very serious. She hands me this long letter from the mysterious Uncle Robert because I'd heard about him, a family guru. Uh, knew he was a huge part of her life. And so she tells me that right before we met, maybe a month or two, she mm-hmm. has this uh, dream that's very important to her. And she's in the house uh, with a boyfriend at the time, and there's a tiger on the loose in the house, and the tiger finds her. It's going to kill her, so she's hiding from the tiger. But she doesn't want to kill the tiger. The tiger to her represents things like strength and honor and intellect, etc. So she admires the tiger just wants to kind of keep it at bay, know where it is, but not kill it. Then the door of the house opens and a tall man walks in. She cannot see the face of the tall man. And as soon as this happens, she hides, because she's, you know, kind of concerned, where's the tiger hiding, where's the tiger? Uh-oh, the tall man's gonna get rid of the tiger. The boyfriend disappears. And uh, that's your dream. So uh, in reality, again, I'm six foot five, I'm a tall guy, and Robert Booty's <laughs> like five foot six. So she tells Robert Booty about the dream, writes him a letter. Again, this is like a month or two before she met me. She never met me. And uh, then he sends this long letter of interpretation back that is wildly bizarre and crazy and fascinating. And he says to her, in, in a nutshell, well, the tiger is you. It's, it's, it's Paige. It's your ego, the old person that in Christianity talks about, you know, you, you get rid of the old man and we are saved. So therefore, since you don't really want to kill the tiger page, you just want to come know where it is, you're not a Christian, you're not saved, and oh, by the way, who is this tall man in your dream that kind of comes there to rescue you? Shouldn't it have been a short man, i.e. shouldn't have been me, Uncle Robert? So Uncle Robert then convinces Paige, he's the tall man, he's the savior, she is actually not a Christian, not saved, and then within months of reading that letter from her, uh, you know, from Booty, sorry, uh, she caves and says, yeah, you're right, I'm not a Christian. Even though she had been baptized and publicly professed her faith without Uncle Robert there, which mm. drove him nuts. So that was the moment where she feels like, oh, see, I'm now a Christian. I'm now saved. 
all because Uncle Robert was brilliant enough to help me figure out this dream, and he's the one that, that led me to the Lord, which I believe, which I think your listeners are probably getting it now, uh, that I was the tall man. Now, I'm not a knight in shining armor. I'm not some savior. I can't save anybody. But I do believe that the Lord brought me into her life as a way of saying, age, you need to pivot. Here's your pivot point, as you say. Mm-hmm. And she didn't pivot. Or she didn't pivot the right way. She pivoted closer towards him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating to see someone so intelligent. I mean, this, this, the, the cult mentality can happen to absolutely anyone at any point in their lives. Anyone who is vulnerable enough to accept um, external help. And I think that that is what happened here. She, like you said, you both, I mean, including you, Christians, y'all already did the whole thing. Y'all already went through the process. You already did the baptism. You did it. You're done. You, you, you are living the life. But he comes to even usurp God and the sacrament of baptism itself in order, and, and he, only he can give that. So in that dream, it sounds like it's seriously, he seriously was able to rewrite her dependency on God into a dependency on him. And you didn't because you were like, who is this guy? Um, why? So, I mean, after that point, I mean, I think you're right. It was when God was no longer her main focus in Christianity, and it was, it was him. It was almost like a blended religion, because, you know, what you just said, I agree with it 100%, but, you know, Booty or Paige would have never, you know, verbally admitted that, that, that you know, yes, I need Uncle Robert to be saved, because, of course, the Bible doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. And neither she would admit that, nor her parents, or, or Uncle Robert. But that's exactly what they did. That's mm-hmm. exactly the way they acted, which mm-hmm. is another trait of cult leaders that I, you know, I've read about. And again, you know, I read these books, and first, when you know somebody had sent me that book by uh, Stephen Hassan, uh, they sent it, uh, you know, anonymously. So I didn't know who sent it. I found that later. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking, ah, I'm on this one in the cult. And then I started reading these books, and my jaw would just hit the floor because what they write about was exactly my experience. And mm-hmm. so one of those facets of a cult leader, they act or try to act as a gatekeeper to God. Mm-hmm. In other words, you cannot really attain the benefits or the blessings of your faith, whatever it is, again, for me, it's Christianity, without going through me first. Which, again, is totally unbiblical. Right. Uh, it's wildly and wickedly unbiblical. Uh, uh, but that's exactly what, what Robert Brody did page yeah and did to all of us eventually and it's 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 insane he did it from a distance he didn't even live there yeah well uh i remember the last few years uh before page left and then i you know kind of stopped uh you know kicked booty out of my life but you know i remember marveling at the fact that you know i wouldn't call him every day but there were times where again there'd be multiple days a week where i would call it and there were never short conversations and there was never small talk. I mean, we dove right in. And uh, I, I might talk for an hour or more. And then Paige would call him almost every day, talk for maybe an hour or more. And then her parents would be calling him. I'm thinking, this guy must be on the phone all day long. Yeah, right? Yes. And, and getting back to the inappropriateness of that in a marriage relationship, mm-hmm. you know, whatever Paige and Uncle Robert were talking about was none of my business. And mm-hmm. I remember once they had a long talk one day. 
when, when she got down off the phone, I could just tell, oh boy, the body language, the looks I was getting, I don't know what they talked about, but I knew I was persona non grata. I was in some kind of figurative doghouse that I didn't know what it was. And that night before bed, I asked her, just meekly, timidly, you know, hey, did you have a good talk? Let's talk about it. And she unloaded on it. She was furious. How dare I ask what they talked about? Mm-hmm. And again, you think about this from a marriage relationship. Are you kidding me? <laughs> mm-hmm. You and I are married. This is another man. How is it not my business? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like a basic consideration to you just to talk about, I mean, she's spending so much time with this person. Why not, you know, include you if it's innocent? Yeah, yeah. Why the secrecy? What are you trying to hide? Like, I don't even need all the details, but why are you hiding this from me? Should yeah. you be hiding anything from me? Mm-hmm. And it was so open, that isolation, that was the, since it's a, it wasn't, you know, a massive cult, it, this is kind of what it looks like when it's a smaller one, that isolation is that, that I think that that's what's happening. And that was one of the things that you also said, Christian fellowship is crucial to maintaining a strong relationship with the Lord, AKA don't isolate yourself. Right. And we did. And again, that was not by accident. Uh, this is all done on purpose. Again, you know, we didn't live near Uncle Robert, so we would go to churches where we lived in Idaho and Montana, even in Colorado when we first got married. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, something would be said, something Pace didn't like, something Uncle Robert didn't like, we heard about it, and then we would leave. I, mm-hmm. I've got lost track of how many churches we went to and left. But then finally, after, you know, nearly 20 years of marriage, we just stopped. So we would have our own little home church, which is nothing wrong with home church if you right. do it with other people. But yeah. we just, it was just us and our kids, Paige and I. And we would read for the Bible, and then we, you know, she would talk to him on the phone. And uh, again, nothing wrong with that, but being totally isolated. There was no one else in our lives, not my family, not our friends in the area, who really knew behind the scenes what was going on. Like, everybody knew we had this guy that was kind of odd, Uncle Robert. Who is this guy? What is he all about? But nobody really knew his teachings. Mm. And of course, that also is on purpose because mm. cult leaders don't want people questioning them. Yeah. Which is really what got me in hot water because I was the one that would always question. He would come up with things that he would share with us at our conferences. Casinos are places of worship. The Jews are out to control the world, all a massive conspiracy. And, you know, Paige and her parents would furiously take notes. They would nod. They would listen. And, wow, Uncle Robert's so brilliant. And I would furiously take notes. And my notes would say something like, is he kidding me? Is mm-hmm. he serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's serious. And so I would ask questions, and that would get me in trouble because we're just supposed to believe him and not doubt him. Yeah. You got you to gotta have faith, right? Like, they want you whenever. <laughs> you got to have faith in the Lord. Robert Booty. Um, yeah, right. So, despite everything that you went through, how were you able to differentiate between the nonsense that you heard from Robert Booty and his interpretations of the Bible and Christianity from what you believe about the Christian faith now? Oh, that's an excellent question because let me answer this way. Um, you know, cult leaders don't get people to follow them by spouting nonsense. 100% of the time and start sharing lies and, and, and lunacy. They get you to follow by oftentimes sounding brilliant and correct and wise. 
So, you know, Uncle Robert would read to us from the Bible, uh, but then it was a slow and subtle uh, progression of where he would, you know, perversely twist each scripture just a little bit. Mm. So that's not the first, you know, think of the proverbial frog in the pot of boiling water. So that years later, you can look back and say, wow, we are way off track. We're nowhere near what gospel says. Mm-hmm. But there were some things that he shared early on that I still to this day would say, well, yeah, that makes sense. That, that's accurate. That's correct. Um, but a lot of those things uh, he would not focus on. He often focused or spent the most time in his teachings on his philosophy, his kind of theology, his special interpretation of Scripture. And those were the ones that were, you know, the craziest. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a long-winded answer. Don, mm-hmm. I would say probably the short answer is, there's a verse in, in James chapter 1 that talks about, listen, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, mm-hmm. if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it to you as long as you believe, no doubt. Well, I've done that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I do believe that the Lord's given me wisdom. And I also believe the Christian faith, just like when we live our lives, it's, it's not a destination. Like, we don't live our lives just waiting to die. It's, exactly. It's a, it's a journey. It's a process. Mm-hmm. Do I know everything that I'm going to know? No, I'm going to learn something new, maybe later today or tomorrow. And that's mm-hmm. great. So I don't have all the answers. I can certainly look back now with eyes open and ears open and, and, and tell quite clearly uh, where Robert Booty was dead wrong and the spots where, you know what, I, I believe that's true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've been kind of undoing this weird fibrous nature of the belief system one by one pulling at the threads little by little getting rid of it all you know it's interesting because you would think if you want to cut somebody out of your life like this right like um you know you just you, you cut off an infectious toe you cut up the toe throw the toe out and the body's fine mm-hmm. it's not that simple because it's more like the leaven in the bread, right? Again, that's another uh, biblical uh, metaphor where you put you know, the yeast and you, you work it into the dough and then it spreads out to the whole loaf and thus the loaf rises. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of the way it is with a guy like Uncle Robert. He starts to permeate uh, and invade every part of your being. So it's a slow process to kind of extract him. It's more like you know, maybe getting pretty uh, parasites for your body. Mm-hmm. Think of it that way if we're going to continue kind of the, the, the physical metaphors here. Another way to put it would be um, Rebecca, the younger sister, the redhead who was vilified and shunned because she was the first one in the family to um, question, you know, accurately question him and say, listen, I don't think this guy who is who he says he is. So again, Rebecca would be Paige's younger sister. Mm-hmm. And you know, when she did question Robert, she was kicked out. We weren't allowed to say her name. She was referred to as the redhead. All pictures that are on the wall of her were taken down. It's awful. So when I, you know, when Paige left me, I kind of got kicked out, and I was starting to have my eyes and ears opened. We reconnected. I hadn't talked to her in 20 years. Mm. And so it was, you know, quite emotional. Um, and she said, you know, Peter, it will take time for you, when you hear something, like some kind of trigger, uh, whether it's, you know, about the Bible or other things that might remind you of him and his teaching. She said, it's going to take a while you did not hear his voice in your head. And I remember thinking, oh boy, is she right? Because mm. uh, for the first year or two after Case left me and I kind of got kicked out of the cult, 
um, I would hear people say things uh, about the Bible or about Christianity or about politics, about anything that Uncle Robert might have touched on in the 20 plus years. And instantly it was his voice mm. in my head, his judgment, his pronouncement. Here's how you must think about this. And it took yeah, probably a year or two to eradicate that voice from my mind. It'll still pop up every now and then, but now I can recognize it. I know where it came from, if that makes mm. sense. Right. He was in your critical thinking ability. He was, yeah. he replaced Absolutely. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I was, uh, did you think that you would have been the exception for Paige because she was your spouse and, or did it never cross your mind that you would become a target like Rebecca did? Yeah, well, both of them. So, um, both of those, what you just stated, crossed my mind. So, the first one, you know, did I think that there was a chance that I could remove Paige from this um, dynamic, from this, you know, this sick person? Right after 9-11. Okay, so I grew up in northern New Jersey. So I had high school classmates who were in uh, the Twin Towers. I had a high school classmate who was widowed that day. Uh, and I was way out in Idaho when it, when it happened. But a year later, uh, we had another conference, and Booty uh, then, on this one night, started talking about it, and he unveiled to me his, you know, unbelievably intense anti-Semitism and how that, you know, colored all of recorded history. And I had no idea. And he said it was such uh, darkness and meanness that it unnerved me. And I remember telling Paige that night, and we were at one of these conferences. We went down to bed uh, with the kids down in the basement where we would stay at her parents' house. And I tell, told her, I said, I, I don't think we should have anything to do with this guy. He is dangerous. I can't believe that he believes these things. Again, I think he's a danger to our family. And I didn't follow through. I didn't say to Paige the next day or the day after, what do you think? Or what do you think about this? Now, if I had, there's a chance she would have left me then. That would have been 2001. Um, so I did hold out hope for those mm -hmm. first few years because I, I didn't really see him uh, as the huge threat until that. So that would be four years into our marriage. Yeah. The previous four years, I, eh, you know, the guy's odd, he's kind of weird. We certainly wouldn't you know, mind him if he you know, left us alone, but I didn't see him as a threat until about 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years later when I realized, boy, he's not going anywhere, right? Mm. Um, you know, you know, Paige is clearly devoted to this man and there's, there's no way I am going to convince her to just leave him and we were going to separate ourselves from him and thus Paige's parents, not going to happen. So then, yes, I had kind of the second part of your question, thoughts in my mind. I wonder if I'll ever get the same treatment. Mm. Absolutely, that. You bet. I wonder if what happened to Rebecca will happen to me, because it wasn't just Rebecca. There were several family members mm -hmm. and friends. I mean, over the years, you know, the, the carnage of of Paige's three younger siblings. You know, Rebecca being one of them, the two brothers. They were all discarded. All the Canadian Clausen relatives. They were discarded. They kicked the curb. Paige had several female friends over the years that she would be close to, and then something would be said, or something would be brought up that Uncle Robert believed in. This other person would say, ah, I don't agree with that, and boom, that person would also be cut out, viciously, immediately cut out of our lives. Mm -hmm. I would I'd observe all this, and I'd think, boy, I sure hope that doesn't happen to me one day. Yeah. And it did. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a, what would you call that? It was a purge. 
almost. And um, it was also something that kept happening. So there's a quote in your book that um, it kind of summarizes, I thought the shunning was bizarre and cruel, but whenever I brought it up with Paige, she made it clear she didn't want to talk about it. So once again, in order to get along with my wife, I simply stopped bringing it up. How did prioritizing your relationship with Paige become about not talking through difficult topics or important issues so as maybe not to anger or discomfort her? You know, I discovered this quote, um, Don, a few years after Paige left me. I was watching a TEDx talk that Tim Ferriss gave. And he said, he borrowed the quote from somebody else. He said, um, easy choices equals a hard life. Hard choices equals an easy life. In other words, if you neglect to have the hard choices or hard, difficult conversations with other people that you know you should have, you're gonna end up with a difficult life. But if you make those hard choices, if you have those difficult conversations, those uncomfortable conversations that you know you should have, you don't neglect them, you don't let things fester, you have them, your life will be much easier. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, does that not encapsulate a large portion of my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of being able to be strong enough to confront Paige and say, wait, honey, I love you, but what this is, we have to talk about this. Like, what is going on? I remember thinking, like, when are Paige's parents going to act like adults and reach out to the three youngest children who have been shunned because of Royal Booty? And just start a dialogue. Like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, can we do something about this? Nobody would talk about it, at least not in front of me. Hayes never did. And, and unfortunately, you know, the sad truth is that I uh, was probably, even then, you know, five, six, seven years into our marriage, a little intimidated by Paige. And, mm. and partly intimidated because she has a very strong personality, but... I'm sure subconsciously I was also partly afraid of her answers. Mm-hmm. In other words, if I were to say, listen, honey, we need to talk about this is important. And she were to say something like, you know what? If you keep pushing, you'll be next. Now, she probably wouldn't have said it in those words. But in the back of my mind, I knew, okay, if I bring this topic up with her, this is a potential outcome. And mm-hmm. I was terrified of that. And so I didn't bring it up. You didn't want to reveal the muck that was underneath you know it's funny i say muck it reminded me of what i tell my clients all the time uh i tell them i am i'm your emotional plumber and all the time they always laugh they're like what does that even mean i'm like okay think about it you have a sink that's full of muck and grime and you call me and you're like can you please help us and i'm like sure and what do I do? <laughs> I help you guys unclog that sink so that you guys can function with your plumbing without me. That's the whole purpose. So I'm your emotional plumber. And it's there whenever there's like um, marital issues that come up where I have clients who are, who are couples and they come up with things, I really do think that in terms of difficult topics that are already going to be discussed within that session levity comedy must be in there otherwise it's just this arduous task that you force yourself to have to do 
So it would have been difficult in your situation to really bring this up. First, it sounds like you didn't feel emotionally safe to bring it up with her because she was just going to unleash some kind of wrath of everything on you. And secondly, you had no social supports to kind of aid you in the process to where you could kind of relaxedly, you know, calmly bring something up. Everything, they were so serious. Everything was so serious. Everything was contingent on the fact of your salvation and will you be saved and your eternal soul is in peril if you do XYZ things. So you were living on edge all the time. It doesn't surprise me that you felt it was safer to not bring it up so as not to just have some kind of volcano explode on you. Yeah, very accurate. So, you know, Paige and I, listen, we had my family, the greater young family, I'm, I'm the youngest of five boys. So we would, and we live around the country, so we would see my family, let's say at Christmas, maybe for a week of summertime, et cetera. And, you know, Paige was polite and got along with everybody. And then we would have local friends that we would see and, and maybe hang out. Paige might go on a bike ride with a friend or something like that. But she was clearly, clearly most comfortable with her parents, Uncle Robert, and her older brother James, who all of them adored and revered Uncle Robert. So in other words, where she was most comfortable, most herself, most honest and empowered was in our little cult. And so now I'm also in this, and I realize I'm the only one in this group that has any doubts about this guy. So yeah, when you talk about not really feeling comfortable to bring it up, well, I didn't really talk about it with anybody outside, like mm -hmm. in my family, the very young family, because I knew they would spot it immediately. Peter, this is crazy. So I didn't talk to them about it. I didn't talk to my friends about it because I knew they would say the same thing, like, wow, this is really weird. And then I couldn't talk about it in our little cult because it was just not accepted. You know, mm -hmm. the younger sister, Rebecca, uh, you know, she and Paige were like best buddies for, for a while there. When I, when I first met Paige, they were roommates, she and her sister. She was, uh, Rebecca was the maid of honor in our, in our wedding. Mm -hmm. and then a few years later, uh, all because of Uncle Robert, you know, she was shunned and kicked out. Many years after that, Rebecca called to try and, uh, you know, give uh, the olive branch and, and, you know, mend the fences, so to speak. And I, somehow I knew it was her. I don't know how it was. When Paige answered the phone, we were in the kitchen. I heard her answer. Just the way she answered it, she had a look on her face, very stern. She left the room, but I could still hear I knew exactly it was your younger sister. And then within about a less than a minute, you know, it was okay. Mm -hmm. She asked a question and then something snapped, something Rebecca said, and she started, and Paige started screaming into the phone. You snake. How dare you? Don't you ever contact me or my family again? And mm -hmm. there may have been some more. And then, you know, turn off the phone, cut her off, hung up on her. And it had been six or seven years since she had spoken with her sister, her only sister, mm -hmm. and shut it down viciously in less than a minute. And then it was like, she didn't even tell me right then who it was. I knew who it was. Mm -hmm. Later that night we talked to her. But she came back to the kitchen and just, you know, started cooking dinner again. You know, like nothing had happened. Like this is how we deal with situations in our lives. So seeing that, you know, like, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to bring up Uncle Robert now after seeing what yeah. she did? You were your sister? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. You were you were coping. You were coping with what was going on. And this was something that I really it hurt to read it. 
it hurt vicariously to read it um, because I was, whenever they were, it's like both of them, uh, Booty and Paige, whenever they would both just go at you and insult you and accost you, I, I was so mad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was so mad. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to tear through this book, go back in time. And seriously, like, but then what, what, if no one is ready for intervention, I get lynched. So it, it, I totally understand the, the way that you coped was with silence. It wasn't a, I'm not strong enough to fight this or, or a, I don't have the strength to, uh, talk about difficult things with my wife. This was, if I were to do this, would my marriage end now? Right. Because um, it's pretty obvious now looking back, hindsight is not always twenty twenty. I think. It can be. It provides the uh, option to be, and it's not always. I do think I'm pretty close to twenty twenty on the fact that if I had brought it up, um, you know, again, several years before she did leave me, there is a chance, very good chance, Yes, it, we would have been done quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Because, let's say I, I had asked help from someone on the outside. Pastor, one of my family members, could you please help me with this? Let's, let's meet with Paige. It, or if I had even told anybody about what's going on and my concerns with you know, our marriage and Uncle Robert and all that, um, it would have been seen by Paige and her parents and Uncle Robert as the worst, most grievous uh, act of betrayal. I mean... You know, Benedict Arnold wouldn't have been able to uh, mm. hold a candle to me if I had done something like that. So, mm. in a way, I, I was very much trapped. Yeah, yeah, you were. It, it was a psychological cage um, where you couldn't talk to anybody. You couldn't talk to them. And, uh, no, I, I, it's not anyone's place who wasn't in your situation to judge your experience and your reactions within that experience. And I I really do want to say that because everyone's experiences are valid, whether they did something or didn't do something they should or shouldn't have. No one knows how they would react in those situations. And there it's no, it's by no, um, it's, it's not by some kind of, I don't know, witchcraft or something that, cults continue to exist and have existed and there's continuous survivors and victims that that are just still there and they get so huge it's not and it's not like it only happens to the impoverished or it only happens to certain races this happens to absolutely everyone at any age any background intelligence level iq so i did want to state that because i as i was reading it I, that was a thought that popped into my head. I don't want anyone judging this man for his lack or whatever he needed to do in his experience because you weren't there. You know, I have a, a good friend, and thank you for stating that, Donna. I appreciate it very much. I have an old friend from high school. Uh, I don't see her very much, but we, we talk. And a lot of these old relationships I had from growing up, high school, from college, especially if they were gal friends, just friends, and it was nothing sexual ever, as his friends, uh, they were, you know, kind of not allowed during much of the marriage, which, okay, that's fine. But, you know, then when I became single again, I was able to kind of reconnect with friends in a way that really wasn't allowed because, you know, we weren't allowed to really share anything deep other than Uncle Robert. Mm-hmm. But she read the book, The Trap by Christina from, from New Jersey. 
And, and and I say this, you know, kind of lightheartedly, but as she was reading it and, and got to the portions of the book that you just kind of described where I was coping, just getting along. I was very meek. I was allowing Uncle Robert and Paige to just bulldoze me over and over again, you know, not stand up for myself. She said something to me over the phone, like, you know, Peter, I just wanted to come out there and shake you. What were you thinking? You know, <laughs> because that's not the Peter that she knew. You know, the Peter that she knew in, in high school would have stood up for himself. She's right. I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was in such a difficult spot, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I couldn't. So then I, I look back at that period of time, you know, intensely, it's, let's say a few years where I, I, I was just afraid of my shadow. Like I would not stand up to my wife or booty, no matter what they said. Maybe not that bad, but close. And I don't recognize that person. I literally don't recognize that person. Like I know why I did it. And I can and I can look back at it now with kind of a shrug. I'm not embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not humiliated by it. It is what it is. Hopefully, that experience then embolden others or help others recover if they've done something similar. You know, it happened. It is what it is. You can either regret it, be embarrassed, humiliated, or you can learn from it and move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah, from a psychological and therapeutic perspective, your experience makes complete sense to me because you would have been under duress daily. And not just that, silence seems to be the only way that you would have had any kind of peace. So your self-esteem and your confidence in yourself and your ability to say anything that was contrary to what was being said around you was over the 20 years span or 19, 20 years span was being, um, what is it? Daily stepped on, daily deconstructed. You were told every day or several times, you know, during the week, things about yourself that were blatant lies and untrue about your person. So over time, yeah, it would have shut you down. That's abuse. Yeah, it, yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, so it, it was mental, emotional, and spiritual abuse. Uh, that's, that's what cults do. Well, if I can share this one story about how bad it got with Uncle Robert. Hayes had already left me. Uh, my life is in shambles. You know, my kid's not being taught to hate me. My wife is left. And he asked me, it was kind of like a backhanded question, backhanded insult. Have you ever been successful at anything in your life? And, you know, here's this guy. He's never had any kind of a job or any kind of procedure or anything. asking me this question. And I told him no. That's how low I had got. I told him no, I've ever been successful at anything in my life. And that was probably my lowest point for him. Wow, Peter, it really sounds like you had a huge influence on you. Well, thank you so much to my co-host, Donna, for taking over this interview segment. That was excellent. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in, listener, to The X Show. Uh, If you have any questions or concerns, you can always contact us at Tony at xucapital.co or you can go on to the BBS Radio website and uh, submit a contact form. This was uh, Peter Young with his fascinating memoir stop the tall man save the tiger Uh, thank you so much for hopping on peter and you have an excellent day listeners thank you peter thank you thank you good night